Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 163. This interview is with Dory Clark, marketing strategy consultant, professional speaker, and a frequent contributor to a number of big titles, including the HBR Review, Time, and the World Economic Forum blog. Dory is also the author of two books, the last of which, Stand Out, was just published. In this podcast, we talk about the challenges of finding one's path, the importance and techniques of building one's network, as well as a great tip on how to manage your contacts effectively. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue. All right, so a re- re- repeat offenders, I suppose, uh, could be appropriate for you, Dory. Back on the podcast. So, Dory, you're in Dallas. Tell us, uh, remind us who you are, what you do, and what you're up to today in Dallas. <laughs> yes. So, I uh, today I'm in Dallas. I'm speaking at Deloitte University, the international training facility for Deloitte, and I am going to be uh, speaking about networking strategies. And when I am not doing that specifically, I write business books like Reinventing You and my most recent one, Stand Out. I also, appropriately enough, have an ebook called Stand Out Networking. I teach for the Fuqua School of Business at Duke and also uh, for HEC Paris, which uh, I know appropriately enough for you. And uh, I give a lot of talks and do marketing strategy consulting for corporations. So... Dory, um, we, we've now known each other for a few years, and um, what, what is interesting about what you're doing, of course, first of all, w- one of the things uh, we, we've shared is that you are an introvert, and so introverts, don't I wouldn't say are the first kind of people I think of as networkers, so how did you get into this space? I mean, as an introvert, it's sort of putting yourself out there, isn't it? Yeah, well, so the reason that I'm actually interested in networking is essentially that I I had to come up with adaptive strategies as an introvert. If you're an extrovert, you can just kind of fling yourself into a crowd like a mosh pit and just be like, okay, you know, and, uh, and when you're an introvert, you have to, you have to actually think about it a little bit more because if you don't do it the right way for you, uh, if you don't do it in a strategic way for you, it's very easy to just get overwhelmed and to not enjoy it and to say, oh, you know, forget this, I'm out of here. And of course, that's not really productive. I mean, we need to network. That's a useful thing for us professionally. Uh, so the question is, how do you do it in a way that is optimized for your personal style that feels good to you? Yeah, I mean, so Dory, if you know, I look at myself, I'm kind of the extrovert. I, I do kind of go out. But I suppose at the end of the day, maybe what I suffer from is having a, a voluminous number of people, maybe too many. And actually, it might be useful for me to be more strategic about how I go about it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that's an important point because a lot of times when people think about networking, their first impulse is just to think about the the meeting people part. And that is, of course, important. But staying in touch with people is perhaps equally important. And uh, and so there's a lot of places in the process where you can fall down. Uh, So for for me, for instance, um, I try to be strategic about it. There's a contact management system that I use called Contactually. And, you know, there's there's other variations as well that people can use. But Contactually is pretty useful because it actually allows you to, quote unquote, bucket people into different lists. 
and it cross-references with your email. And if you haven't been in touch with them for a long time, but you have put them in a bucket that indicates they're important to you, it'll actually send you a little reminder and say, hey, you need to check in with this person, which is valuable. Oh, no kidding. And, and so do you, in this uh, contextually, because something I always done, uh, you know, I started back to my Palm Pilot days, was because of the random access memory, the ability to then, instead of having to just search by people by their name, you could go in and plunge into the data around the name back in those days. You know, that was sort of like a little bit ahead of its time. You know, I could put in and I'd say, well, this person's in, in the e-reputation space, or this person's a tennis player, or this person is interested in World War II, or whatever it was. And so I could then just quickly run in and dive through my, my, my book for all my tennis friends who live in Lax, you know, Los Angeles. And so I could, oh, listen, I'm going to Los Angeles. Maybe I bring my tennis rackets and play with so-and-so. And, and so it, it does that kind of, I mean, it prompts you to sort of tag people and bucket them that way? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you can, you can group them regionally, you can group them in terms of interests, etc. And then uh, call, up, call up the keyword and, uh, and do that. You can also uh, bucket them just in terms of priority. So you can say, okay, these people are my friends. And so I want to talk to my friends every two weeks. Uh, these people are my current clients. I want to talk to my clients every month. These people are prospective clients, so I want to talk to them every 90 days. And, uh, and so it, it enables you to, uh, to just keep track of that. It, almost as a dashboard, uh, you can sort them by, you know, are they red, green, or yellow in terms of how frequently you've talked to them. Oh, awesome. And I assume it synchronizes uh, seamlessly with your typical you know, address book. Yeah, I, I use uh, Gmail and, uh, and it plugs in with that. Um, I, for a while, I, w- I was just, you know, and, and this is perfectly functional up to a certain point, but I was just using Excel to uh, keep track of my uh, contacts. And uh, so when I started with Contactually, I uploaded the Excel file to it and then it kind of vacuumed everything up. All right. So when, when, was, your, when was your newest book um, published? So uh, Standout was published in April of uh, 2015, and then Standout Networking, which is my little my little lanyard, yeah. uh, just a, a short ebook uh, that kind of came as a follow on, was published in June of 2015. Super. All right. So tell us a little bit about the process, uh, Dory, because uh, I've I've had a chance to speed read it. Uh, but uh, tell us how, how you came around creating this process, you know, strategic, I would say strategic standing out. <laughs> yes, yes. So for me in writing standout, what I really wanted to try to do was solve the problem of how in a world where, you know, there's just so much more content, there's so much more noise, there's so many more people trying to communicate, um, in this crowded environment where gatekeepers have kind of been blown through, how do you solve the opposite problem? The problem of 10 or 20 years ago was how do you get heard in the first place? How do you, uh, you know, how do you get permission to create something? Now you don't need permission to create something. You can just do it, but you're not guaranteed that you're going to have an audience. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to write a book where I interviewed about 50 of the world's top thinkers in a variety of different fields to try to understand this question of how did they do it? How did they rise to the top? What is it about them or their message or their approach that enables them to break through? And how can regular professionals do that? So in the end of the day, there has to be an intention. Because some people become stand out because they, you know, someone says, hey, come on television. And next thing you know, they've got a big crowd. But, you know, there needs to be a desire to make this happen. 
Yeah, gen- generally that's that's really true. I mean, it, there are all kinds of lucky breaks. There have been in the past. There there always will be. But um, but there's also the question of how do you set up your own luck. So you talk right. about somebody like Justin Bieber, who was discovered on YouTube, right? So you know that was amazing. That was crazy. But he was putting the videos on YouTube to start with. Sure. And so you, you need to lay the groundwork. If you are not creating the content, if you are not showing yourself to the world, I mean, you know, Scooter Braun didn't come to Justin Bieber's bedroom and knock on the door and say, hey, I think you have some talent. Uh, Justin Bieber was willing to share himself in a public space to make himself findable. And I think that's something that we all need to do. Yeah, and something you mentioned in the book uh, that obviously refers to, you know, the, your introverted side is, you know, not necessarily wanting to, you know, prostitute yourself or, you know, push yourself out there and, and you know, constantly being a salesman as you do it. Because you mentioned that sort of the challenge of not feeling like you're overdoing your ethics or, you know, or your own comfortable space. So talk us through how you can get, get into that. Because, I mean, I know a lot of people do have trouble breaking out, standing out. They may or may not have a story, but what what is it that allows people, you know, as you say, to have the permission to, you know, promote yourself? Yeah, well, I, I do a lot of research uh, into this because certainly my the topic of my first book, Reinventing You, dealt heavily with personal branding. And, you know, what I what I discovered is that in a lot of cases, it's people who are holding themselves back because they uh, they have a belief structure that any form of talking about themselves, any form of uh, putting themselves out there is some kind of uh, egotism or it's a form of bragging or it's just something that, uh, that shouldn't be done. There's a kind of impropriety about it. They feel, Literally, they feel dirty from doing it. And, uh, and that, that is challenging. Um, you know, if, if people, uh, if people don't want to do it, you know, it's like that you can't lead, you know, you can lead the the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And so I think that for a lot of folks, the most important starting point is to reframe the concept of personal branding, to reframe the concept of putting, you know, putting yourself out there, quote unquote, because if, if you think, oh man, this is some sleazy thing that I have to do in order to be successful, you've, al- you've already lost. That's you've it. already defeated yourself because you're never going to put yourself into doing it. You're going you're gonna to feel like a hypocrite. Um, the reframe has to happen first where you realize, you know what? I am doing myself a favor and I'm doing the world a favor because I have something to offer and I want to make that clear. I want to make it clear how I can add value and you know what I can contribute. And this is not about you know what you say about yourself and bragging and you know oh hi I'm Dory and I'm the greatest and this and this and this. Some people think that's personal branding and and it's not. Um, personal branding is the sum total of the perceptions that people have about you. It's everything that they think about you, and that comes from yes what you say about yourself, but it comes from how you comport yourself. It comes from how you dress. It comes from who you hang out with. It comes from what's available about you on YouTube. Uh, or on Google. Um, so all of those things together. Um, one of the best forms of personal branding, for instance, for, for professionals is something like blogging. You know, can you write a, an article? It's a helpful article about some facet of your field or your profession mm-hmm. or a trend that you're seeing. And, you know, that's that brands you because it shows that you're thinking about these things. It shows that you have a perspective and expertise, but it's certainly not raising your hand and bragging. 
It is br indirect branding because you are helping people with your knowledge. Well, I want to get back to the subject of the expertise per se afterwards, but just going through one of the, uh, I would say, belief systems or the issues is on one hand, you know, so I, I even have some people say, well, you know, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about my company. You know, I want to promote my brand, my, my the company brand. It's not about me. And then, you know, you even have like strategies such as, you know, I'll write a book, but I'll write it with a pen name. And, and then the second part of it is, well, you, you kind of ipso facto have to go through your tight circle in order to get through there. To, well, my belief is, you know, friends and family, that concept exists in financing because that's where it starts. And so if that's what you do in financing to get your first, you know, $100 in the door, you kind of also need to rely on your, on your, in, your inner circle of network to help start the ball rolling, get that word of mouth happening and have them be the first levers to go out there. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And in Standout, uh, as you're alluding to, I discuss a three-step process for spreading and sharing your ideas. The first step is, you know, this, this kind of friends and family round, as it were. I, I call it uh, building your network where you are getting a, a tight group of people around you mm -hmm. who can provide you with insights with advice with um with their perspective you know people who can talk to you honestly yeah, and the next and oh, sorry at, go. and they're looking out for you when you make a mistake and that kind of stuff exactly exactly the next round is building your audience which is where you begin to go a little bit more public and this is where you start sharing your ideas in speeches or on the internet or writing or what have you so that new people can be attracted in to your message and then finally, the third phase, when something really takes off, is what I call um, you know, building your community. And that's what happens when your audience members get excited and they start talking to each other. They start recruiting new people to your ideas and you begin to tap into word of mouth marketing and, and virality. Some, I was at a, a conference the other day and we were talking about um, sort of getting started. And you, know, you write a book. Everyone should write a book. Okay, well... Actually, how can you get started to write a book? Well, actually, writing a blog post is a really good way to start thinking about writing a book. And then another thought we had was, well, in terms of, um, you know, what do they call it? The, um, the in information uh, business, you know, selling information and, and having your CDs and all that in the old days. Well, you can start by just doing a webinar and that becomes you're practicing delivering a speech to other people. And maybe at the beginning, only five people. But you're you're getting you're beginning the process, and then you start practicing and helping them create the scale you need afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it really is uh, important to just start small and you know test the idea and expand out from there. And in fact, my first book, Reinventing You, was the uh, the product of a blog post that I did. Huh. Um, the the process was uh, I wrote a blog post for Harvard Business Review. It was the second one I actually ever did for them. And it became uh, popular, and they liked it, and they reached out to me and asked if I would be willing to expand the blog post into a magazine article, into a 2,500-word magazine article. And so I did. That uh, you know, ran a few months later in the Harvard Business Review print edition, and I got two, actually three different literary agents approaching me as a result of that article. And uh, I, I knew at that point there was enough people coming to me. I thought, all right, you know, clearly this has momentum behind it. So I got an agent. I turned it into a manuscript and was able to sell Reinventing You. But it was exactly that process of, you know, test, test it as a 700-word piece. 
test it as a 2,500 word piece. And then finally, you know, okay, I'm able to turn it into a, you know, 50 or 60,000 word book. One of the things that I was thinking about, Doria, as I was reading this was, uh, you know, so I, I'm a speaker like you. And I, I went the other day to a speaker's convention to speak at the speaker's convention. So very meta. Yeah, it is rather. And there's nothing more, you know, uh, not humbling, but at least, um, you know, it clips your wings because you're not going to go in there and, you know, everything you're doing is being observed at two levels. And so you, and the, so in this same respect, in some regard, you know, you're saying how to do what you, what you want to do for you. And so you end up, so you also have to presumably feel a level of accountability for the way you do your business. You know, like that's why I wanted to dig into contractually we're talking about for, you know, how do you do it for you? And, and you're writing about it and you, so you have to walk the talk. Do you feel that there's a level of pressure on that? <laughs> yeah, I suppose, I suppose that there would be, uh, but but I, uh, it, it's not too bad because the things, the things that I'm writing about um, really are things that I do and have done. So uh, I, I don't necessarily feel like, oh, my gosh, I have to live up to this thing right. that I've prescribed. Because usually uh, the writing is retrospective about stuff that, that, is already, uh, that I've already done or is uh, fairly habitual for me at this point. One of the things that I absolutely adored, and I, and I told you before, was... Um, the session about building your your as you say your network, and uh, with Kari Anderson, uh, who I have been a, been a fan of ever since I, I listened to her on TED, and and what uh, what struck me was this notion of of proactively building up a tight knit group, and it it's it seemed to me I kind of put a parallel on like a board of governors to your life. You don't necessarily want to have just your friends. There needs to be a kind of a mix of points of view, bringing in different expertises. And, and, and you know, Kari did this in two different, as I recall, two different types of cases. And the thing that really struck me, Dory, was that it was both professional and personal. And, it, and I think that's, that for me was the big wake up thought because so much in business, it's like, well, you know, protect my business. You know, this is my business partner. This is my literary agent. I mean, that kind of a group. And, and, and in some cases, it just sticks to being so professional. But when you can come out of that and cross the Kyber Pass and talk about your personal stuff, well, that's when, you know, I think the floodgates come up and then the trust level barometer goes potentially much higher. Talk to me about that. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, of course, it's it's great to uh, to build professional relationships that are professional relationships. But you know, interestingly, in the United States, we are actually the the weakest worldwide when it comes to a certain form of uh, relationship building. You know, professional relationship building, uh, and that is that American business culture is very transactional. It's very okay. You know, we're we're coming in. Let's do the deal. Boom. You know, let's go. And, you know, there's there's plenty of cultural reasons for that. Um, I mean, you know, we're blessed with good laws and good institutions, and we can rely on those laws and institutions. You don't necessarily need to know somebody's family in order to know that they're going to be trustworthy in the deal because we have a really good judiciary. And if they're not trustworthy in the deal, we can sue them and we can get it worked out. Um, but in the, there's a downside to that. And the downside is that... Uh, a little something does get lost because in other cultures, there's much more of a blending 
of business and personal. Uh, before somebody's going to want to do business with you, they want to hear about your family. They want to hear about your hobbies. They want to understand who you are and where you're coming from so that they can make sure they feel comfortable with that. And, uh, you know, for, for us to turn our backs on that is, uh, is unfortunate. And so the more we can tap into that, the more that we can take advantage of both of the best parts of these modalities, I think that we'll be stronger for it. And it's absolutely true. I mean, I think sometimes people get nervous that if they're talking about their personal lives, that it's going to freak other people out and that, you know, oh, like even just a little bit is going to be TMI. But, uh, but it, it's really not. There's a huge gulf. Um, you know, you don't have to talk about your sex life with, uh, you know, with business contacts. Uh, you know, but, but sometimes people think that any disclosure is going to be tantamount to that. And the truth is, no, people actually really want to understand you and what makes you tick. And so if you can share a little bit about what do you do outside work or, you know, do you have kids and is that a big part of your life? You know, things like that uh, can really cement a relationship. All right. So uh, this is not supposed to take it in, in, in a wrong way. Hopefully it, it is taken that way. I have to say, I feel like that's a more feminine approach mm, to networking. Mm -hmm. And so my observation is, you know, the guys will will talk about, you know, baseball or, yeah. or whatever, but it's it's not really personal. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, who cares? Kansas City Royals won yeah, their baseball team. They won some game, great, two nil, five nil, six nil, and so and so played well. But it, you know, we're maybe revealing a little bit about ourselves. You know, I like this team, but it's not yeah. really much deeper to it i mean right. of course i'm huge generalizations you know notwithstanding but the, the what I, I just thought was so interesting about what you wrote about with carrie was this this notion of you know around different levels constructing this these these teams and then you know the amazing length of time with which she continues to have these relationships and and then the and the ability to ask from one another or at least the, what they do is they you know you say something I, I'm 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 needing this, and I, I I loved her process. It seemed I'm so. Do you do you follow that, or or do you recommend the same kind of things? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that the the process that Carrie uh, that Carrie uses uh, that we described in the book is a really interesting one. I mean, just briefly for folks who haven't read Standout, um, she is a part of two mastermind groups that are still operating. One was started in 1989 and one was from 1994. So 20 years, 25 years, these groups have been running. And every single month, she and the members get together and they have a, a kind of set framework of how they do it. As you indicated, Minter, uh, they go around in a circle and they, they offer um, what they call a need and a resource. So every month they say, okay, here's something I need. Uh, maybe it's that I'm trying to build up my speaking business, so I'm looking for referrals for speeches. And the resource that I have is um, I just got my website redesigned, and I have this amazing guy, and he's really cheap. And so if anyone needs a, re a referral for a great website person, ask me. I know how to help you. Mm -hmm. You know, something like that, whatever it is. And then you go around in the circle, and people, um, you know, they take notes on it. And they'll they'll go back and say, oh, you know, well, that's great. You know, two months ago, you said you had a need for X, Y, Z. You needed a uh, intellectual property attorney. I just met somebody who'd be perfect for you. And they keep track of it and just trade references and resources. And it's become incredibly mutually beneficial, certainly from a professional standpoint. I mean, Kari has gotten business from it. She's gotten leads from it. But also, as you indicated, from a personal 
uh, standpoint. She says that this has become the most important professional uh, relationship of her life with the people in these groups, because literally, perhaps aside from her family, they know her better than anyone. I mean, if you can imagine the result of meeting with people every single month for 25 years, they have seen her through, you know, the majority of her adult professional life. They, they know the ups and downs. They know the history. You know, she can say, oh, well, you know, you remember John. He was the one back, you know, seven jobs ago that did this. And they're like, oh, yeah, John. <laughs> and, you know, it, most of us don't have that kind of longevity. Uh, and that is a really powerful tool. Well, what, what it, the reason why I mentioned the Board of Governors approach, I mean, ideally a Board of Governors should have everyone the ability to speak no matter the territory. And the the permission to critique, to add to the conversation, and and as opposed to a family or these friends, that you have other things you have to worry about. You know, like, you know, oh, am I going to lose my friend if I say this? Or you know, God, I'm not going to go down that route again because you know when I tell him about that, he's going to go riffing on his you know war story one more time. Ugh, boring. You know, so friends and family are you know have their importance, but. The way it's constructed to allow for a more rigorous, there's a, some kind of a rigor in that relationship that has that has been really, it just strikes me as very powerful. So I wanted to, uh, one more thing about the, the networking story, which is, all right, well, back in 25 years ago, we met and we met people, might have a title, might have a name, might, you know, be uh, an extrovert. And then all of a sudden, now you have Twitter uh, network. And so that kind of Continge, you know, I, I remember going, you know, when I when I began, I would see people who had thousands of followers. It really tended to change. What do you say? I had an a priori, should we say, about the person I'm speaking with, because I know that they were one hiccup away from being able to talk or touch maybe a lot more people. How do you approach that? What what What's your sort of spin or your viewpoint on looking at, at the now the, the social network component? Yeah, social networking coming coming into play is uh, is really interesting. I mean, I, I think of course um, it, it's challenging just from the way that we are optimized as humans. I mean, you know, we are optimized for face to face communication. So I do still think that that is the strongest. That is that is the best option if it's possible. That being said, of course, there's obvious drawbacks. Um, we, uh, you can only meet in person with, with so many folks. And in fact, um, with Kari Anderson's group, what happens most of the time is that because they are in either now they've moved to different cities or they're traveling or whatever, most, some of the meetings are in person, but most of them are on, uh, you know, Skype or on uh, Google chats so that they can, they can see each other, but, uh, but they're not necessarily in the same room. I mean, we live in an amazing world where, you know, we're, we're speaking here from, from Paris and from Dallas, and we're able to have this, this face-to-face conversation. Uh, it's, you know, is it, is it as good as having you in the room? No, but it is a lot better than the alternative, uh, you know, sure. 20 years ago, which would have been, we could have this call and then we'd, you know, get our phone bill for $350. So, uh, so this is kind of amazing. Um, I think that the, the way to think about it is that, you know, social networks, Twitter, things like that are um, a useful augmentation. Um, but the, the process when I think about it for networking is that social media either needs to come at the beginning or at the end of a relationship, but, it, but you know, or you know, a meeting. But 
somewhere there needs to be, if it's going to advance to the next level, mm -hmm. it needs to be in person. So what I mean mm -hmm. by that mm -hmm. is that I could discover you online, think that you are really cool, really interesting. We engage, uh, we, you know, we start tweeting back and forth. We have what, I, you know, what I'll call a, sort of a warm lead relationship yeah. where uh, you know a little bit about me, you know what my name is, but that's about it. Um, but but what it takes is to meet in person yeah. to actually really connect. And we were able to do that a couple of years ago at South by Southwest. Indeed. Then once we do that, we can keep up the relationship electronically. Yeah. Um, but somewhere somewhere totally. in that equation, you, you need to you need to have a face to face communication. Um, if you if you know a little bit about someone, you can go for years mm -hmm. communicating with them electronically, and that suffices to keep it going. Mm -hmm. But it can't ever bring it to the next level without uh, without just a little bit of of uh, interpersonal input. I so agree with that. I just I was in Montreal last week, and I've been we've been co co following each other, Michelle Sullivan, and I, and then we finally got a chance to have coffee and it was, you know, a two hour session because we had mm. lots to catch up on. One of the, the last topic I wanted to talk about was the notion of the choice of topic. So your, your expertise domain. And, you know, it struck me, you could sort of say, well, huh, what is no one a specialist on? You know, how do you uh, jump over 80 meter buildings? Okay. No one's done that before. Cool. I'll, you know, problem is not a lot of people looking for that. On the other hand, there's the, the big, big lake and you want to be, you know, a small fish. So what kind of constructs do you put around finding that expertise? And then I have one last part off that. Yeah. So how do you, how do you figure out what you want your expertise to be? And I would say that, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan when it comes to uh, any elements of this about, you know, branding or about how, you know, how do you spend your time? I'm a big fan of, of starting internally. Um, I think that that it is a lot more effective than scanning the landscape and saying, oh, what are the, what are the trends in a few years? Oh, I know, you know, we need more nurses. I guess I'll be a nurse. You know, it, it's just right. it's kind of weak to me uh, because if you don't feel a passion for it, if you don't feel connected to it, um, then you're probably not going to be that motivated. And circumstances can change. I mean, I remember growing up, my parents, you know, uh, my dad was a doctor. I'm sure they would have loved for me to be a doctor. And they always said that radiologists had the best job. Oh, it was great. You know, they could just look at slides. They don't really have to deal with patients. You know, that was the best. Well, now, guess what? I mean, radiologists are getting wiped out because you can use the Internet to do radiology in India for five bucks. And who wants to pay somebody half a million dollars to look at slides? Um, so uh, so that, that would have been a really poor choice if I had not felt a passion for radiology and had just thought, oh, that's going to be a good move. Um, what I actually think is the case is that if you, if you take something that you're interested in, I mean, it is, you know, this is something that's talked about a lot. Oh, follow your passion. It'll all work out. Right. And of course, no, I, nobody sh should be that blithe about it. Um, you can't necessarily literally do the thing that you're envisioning, but that's okay. You can do, but I a hundred percent believe that you can do something in the realm of what you're envisioning. You may not get to be the basketball player or the starter for the NBA, but you could work in basketball. You could write about basketball or be an announcer or be a coach or whatever. Um, it's a question of going to the thing roughly, the area that you're mm -hmm. interested in 
and then digging in and iterating sufficiently so that you can find your place. This is really part of the niche strategy that we were talking about. It's about um, looking around within within the thing that you care about and just doing enough digging and research to start to to look for these little pings, these little questions. You know, what what are the things that people aren't talking about? What do I get a lot of questions about? What do people seem really uh, interested in that I've done or something? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'll actually just mention briefly, Minter, is that for folks who are interested in this question of, you know, what should my big idea be? How do I put it out there? I created a free workbook. It's a 42-page workbook yep. that I adapted from Standout. And folks can uh, can sign up to download it for free on my website, doryclark.com, which is D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. And it, uh, it literally, it's 139 questions that sequentially walks you through the process of developing your idea and spreading it. That's cool. I mean, you know, basketball, you can even, you know, sell basketball. If you know, if you, at the very beginning, I'm thinking of college students, you know, sell yeah. basketball, of course. So the last part, which is when you're creating this expertise, how important is it to do good? Mm. Yeah, so, you know, doing the, the question of doing good, I think, is an important one. Um, what I, I'll reframe it just a little bit. Go for it. Which is that I think that it is essential for people to do work that feels meaningful to them. That is, uh, you know, psychology studies have shown again and again that when it comes to your personal happiness, a sense of purpose in what you're doing and how you're spending your time and how you're spending your life is really essential. And so um, as, a, as a result of that, I, I think that doing, doing work that feels purposeful is critical. Now, is it doing good in the sense of, you know, helping the hungry or, you know, something that is, that is obvious, has an obvious tie to social good. I, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily mandatory. I think that's great. I think that can be very fulfilling. Um, but I think that if you care about computers and what you're passionate about is coming up with a better spam filter, um, that's a way of doing good. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it annoys people, it limits their productivity. The world can function better if you're stopping spammers from annoying people. Um, so I don't think we necessarily all have to go out and, uh, and do, you know, do something that overtly changes the world, but it has to feel important to you, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and I'll just briefly mention too that one thing, a drum that I that I beat in Standout and elsewhere, is that a lot of people think about charitable work and volunteering for a charity board or something like that as a kind of nice add-on, like, oh, that's nice. You know, if I have extra time sometime, I'll do that. Um, and then it never happens, it never gets done. But I actually believe that being involved with charities is both an important form of networking and an important form of professional development. And if you can begin to think of it in those buckets rather than just, oh, that's a nice way of giving back, then it becomes a lot more urgent, a lot more useful, and it it seems to make more sense to spend time investing in that. Splendid. So, Dory, um, how can someone go find Standout? How to find your breakthrough ideas and build a following around it? What's the best way to get that and uh, track you down or follow you? What's, What's your preferred route? 
Thank you, Minter. So, so uh, the the Action Central is my website, doryclark.com, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. That's where they can download the free 42-page uh, standout workbook. I have about 400 free articles available on the site. Uh, they, there's also links uh, for the books. They can get them on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or, or many uh, real-world uh, booksellers as, as well. And I'm on Twitter at Dory Clark. Dory, great to have you on. Enjoy your session with Delwatt and Touche in Dallas. By the way, I'm in Paris, France, as opposed to Paris, Texas. And uh, stay in touch. Thank you so much, Minter. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to The Jim Stroud Podcast.